0: You're listening to the King's Church podcast. Visit us online at Kingswisbeach.org.uk. So James chapter four, verses thirteen, all the way through to James chapter five, verses six. It's like one chunk. But it kind of bridges where the chapter division has been put So it starts James 4:13, and it goes through to chapter 5 verse 6 that chunk there that verity read out for us earlier So as I talk you can kind of keep flicking your eyes back to that to Get an idea of what I'm going on about or why I'm going on about that Okay This sermon is part of a series that we're doing where we're looking at the book of James and it's called the faith that works series if you want to catch up on those you can have a look on our website or on YouTube and you can catch up on the previous sermons there about James basically all of it is looking at about faith in action all right and basically trying to say that the faith we have in Jesus is a living and breathing faith and it should encompass all of our lives. Like Verity very visually showed us with that cloth weaving in and out all the different aspects that make up our lives, our faith, and God should be part of all of it, not just a little corner of the, this is what I do on a Sunday morning box. And part of our life which was identified earlier is our finances it's our money and of course it's our attitude towards our money now i understand some people are happy to talk about money while others money is this huge big taboo no-go area you just don't mention it It's locked away in some secret compartment of our life that only we and maybe the bank manager has the right to know about. Don't worry, I'm not going to flash everyone's bank statement up on the screen today. You can breathe a sigh of relief. But I am going to talk about money. James talks about money here and he's giving important instructions about all different important bits of life to the church, so it's important. And you know who else speaks about money in the Bible? Jesus. Jesus himself actually talks about money. And if we're wanting to live the way that Jesus wants us to live, we need to listen to what he has to say about money so that we can deal with it rightly in the way that he wants us to deal with it. Now I also want to assure some of us here this morning that our church is not after your money. Okay? We're not some pyramid scheme dressed up with like a cross at the background, okay? Sadly, money has become a huge focus for some churches. And the love of money, you know, there's a potential for that to overtake the good work that the lord is doing i also want to assure you that we do not subscribe to what's called the prosperity gospel some of us may not even know what that is basically it's in some places and some church traditions where you don't find it in the bible which is why we don't say it or preach it where basically i mean let's get this right god wants you to prosper God wants to bless you okay he does but where the error creeps in with the prosperity gospel is your blessing is not attached to how much money you give the church or how big your bank account is you can't buy your blessing by giving it to a specific ministry or person and this is what some some places say and you know we don't take offerings or three offerings per meeting some places might have just so that the pastor can show his friends how big the bank account is we don't do that right? that's not what it's about but we do want to talk about money and let's look at what the Bible actually says so that we can have the wisdom that God provides for us in order to deal with it well so the first part of The verses for today from James 4 verse 13 it says, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and such boasting is evil. There are various problems that come hand in hand with wealth. One of these is arrogance, because we have the money, and we live relatively comfortably. And when you're in that position, well, you can tend to rely on yourself a lot. We have the means and resources that enable us to to live how we please. We can make plans for the future. Now, many of us here may not feel particularly wealthy. And so, you know, talking about wealth and being wealthy, well, that doesn't really apply to me. But we do live in a very wealthy country. And even those of us who are poor can still get access to things like benefits, to things like social housing. The NHS will give you your healthcare for nothing. And in comparatively with the rest of the world, we are actually quite wealthy. But This doesn't dismiss the hardships that the lack of money brings and that some of us may be experiencing. I know the cost of living crisis is real, and it has hit some of us particularly badly. I know money can be a struggle. And yes, James is speaking directly to the wealthy here. But everyone, even those who are poor, can learn from this teaching because money and wealth. This is this is it. If you if you hear nothing else from this today, take this: money and wealth is really a surface issue that amplifies or magnifies things under the surface that are the real cause of the problem. Now, you see in this section of the Bible. In the reading we've had today, arrogance or pride is the problem. And yet money is being used to to bring this up because money can cause arrogance and pride. Arrogance and pride are the things that need dealing with. Thinking that we can control our lives, that our best laid plans for ourselves are actually the best plans we forget God we forget that he is sovereign we forget that if we are following him he's the one that calls the shots so that if he says sell your house move somewhere else we may not want to do that but if God said it that's what we do if he says give up your high-paying job and go and do something else for less money we may want to do that (laughs) but we might not but if that's what God says then that's what we should do and even if we're not Christians and James even talks about this here even if we're not Christians and are not wanting Jesus to be the boss of our lives James says well everyone's in the same boat because all of us will one day eventually die and we can't control when and where that will happen no matter how much we try to no matter how much we want to control that at the end of the day it's out of our hands because that's up to god so this asks the question well is planning bad is planning wrong here it's saying you know well don't you know don't plan all these things because god's in control and we are Should we abandon all our plans and just see where the wind and whims of life kind of take us? No, that's not what it's saying either. In our Joseph series that we've just finished last week, we saw how God gave Joseph a plan. He gave him a plan, store grain for seven years when you have plenty and then The seven years that follow where there is nothing, you'll have enough to feed the country. That's a plan and it was good. And in fact, planning is good and it's essential to life and to how church even should function and thrive. The thing that's bad is trying to make and implement these plans on our own and doing it in our own strength, not involving God in our thoughts and decisions. That's what's bad, not the planning bit. And even if we have planned and we've asked God for his input and advice and We've tried to do it as best we can. Even if we have made some plans, you know, we still need to be prepared that if God has other ideas further down the line, the plan might change. Because God might be doing something different. And we've got to be willing and prepared and able to say, yeah, okay, I'll change my plan. I thought that's what we would do okay but you want to change fine you are in control you are the leader let's go with that rather than saying nope this is the plan and in three years this is what will happen and in five years that is what will happen and you know god you can say what you like because i'm not going to listen to you because i'm going for my you know five-year goal and blah, blah, blah. Uh-uh. that's where it goes wrong involve god in your decisions and your plans And be prepared to adjust them if he tells you to. Now, here at our church, we are the king's church. Okay? Fiona doesn't like it when we just say king's church. Because the the, the the, is very important. Because we're not just a bunch of kings wandering around together. It is the king, Jesus, right? One, the king's church. And it means that the church belongs to the king belongs to Jesus okay now the overseers do their best to prayerfully follow the direction and the leading of the Holy Spirit planning yes but being flexible and open if the spirit wants to do something new or to change something adapting those plans where it required. it's also notice a group leadership It's not one man of God receiving the heavenly download that could be off target. Everything when done together is weighed and tested and together we seek the leading and direction and the will of God. And This is called mutual accountability. We test what each other is hearing God saying. Do we agree? Is he saying the same thing to us? If he isn't, well, let's go back and find out what's going on. If he is, okay, let's follow where God's leading. So personally, how do we apply this then? When planning for the future, ask Jesus. Involve him in your plans. Be open to what he might say. Even if you may not be particularly keen on the idea. (laughs) He knows what's best, believe me. The passage says, make plans, but be prepared and willing to change those plans if God wants you to do so. And this is what's meant when it says in the passage, if this is God's will, right, before presenting or making plans. It might also be wise to seek the godly counsel and wisdom of other Christians, especially if the decision is a big one. Then you've got that mutual accountability and testing, and you can, you know, together, Find out what what God is saying or wanting you to do in that situation. right, verse 17, if anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, this is sin for them. So we know we can do things that are sinful. The Ten Commandments tells us, don't do this, don't do that don't do the next thing, and there are many other things besides the Ten Commandments that we we can do that means we have sinned against God. And we're quite used to the idea that doing something against the will of God is sin. But here we're told that sin is not limited to just things we do. Sometimes sin can also be caused by things we do not do when we know what is good and right but we choose not to do it or we know what the right thing to do is but we look the other way we choose not to get involved now I'm as guilty as anyone when it comes to this a few months ago I was at a motorway services on the M1 I had just been reading an inspiring book about the fear of the Lord And how obedience is vital to living well as a Christian. And I was all fired up. And I remember thinking as I was getting out the car and going into the services, um, wouldn't it be great if, if the people I walked past could just sense the Holy Spirit and the fear of the Lord? And, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if like revival broke out in the services? Yeah, I was really fired up. And anyway, I went into the services. I had my coffee and my hamburger. Um, and I was on my way out, and I just popped into WH Smith to get a bottle of water. And whilst I was in the queue for the till, I got a strong sense that the Holy Spirit wanted me to pray for one of the workers who was stacking shelves. He was obviously in pain, okay, you could see that you know, things weren't right, he, he was in pain. And I froze. And all the thoughts of, what if nothing happens? what if he thinks I'm a nutter what if what if what if and also well I'm already running late for this appointment that I'm driving to London for so this will just make me even later so I didn't do it I didn't do it I bought my water and legged it I I went now the Holy Spirit clearly told me to do something And I'd let my fear and my pride stop me from doing it. And a few minutes down the motorway, I had to repent because I knew, I knew I'd done the wrong thing. I had to repent because I knew that for me, I knew what the right thing to do was and I hadn't done it. So what's all this got to do with money? What should we be doing with our money? What does the Bible tell us to do so that we can do it? James draws a lot on the Sermon on the Mount that we can find in Matthew. He also draws a lot on Proverbs. I'm just going to stick with Sermon on the Mount today. I think that's more than enough to get the point across. So I'm going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21. And this is where Jesus himself is talking about money. Okay? He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, You know, it's you can tell where your heart is. You can tell where your priorities are. We had trying to order the list of priorities in our lives by where your money is. You know, that put your money where your mouth is type thing and well, it has a ring of truth. Where your money is, where your treasure is, that is where your heart also is. I'm going to carry on reading this section using the message version of the Bible. You can still follow along with your version. The words might not quite match, but I've chosen this one because I think a lot of us have read this and the words are quite familiar. This kind of just jolts us out of our comfort a little bit and gets us to listen. You can't worship two gods at once. Loving one god, you'll end up hating the other. Adoration of one feeds contempt of the other. You can't worship God and money both. If you decide for God living a life of God worship, it follows that you do not fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There is far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds, free and unfettered, not tied down by a job description, careless in the care of God, and you count far more to him than birds. Has anyone, by fussing in front of a mirror, even gotten taller by so much as an inch? All this time and money wasted on fashion, do you think it makes that much difference? Instead of looking at the fashions, walk out into the fields and look at the wildflowers. They never primp or shop. But have you ever seen color and design quite like it? The 10 best dressed men and women in the country look shabby alongside them. If God gives such attention to the appearance of wild flowers, most of which are never even seen, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? What I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax, to not be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. So it's about priorities. We can't worship God and money. We are told that we need to trust God to put him first in all we do, to put our money and invest in God's kingdom here on earth. Then we don't need to worry about if we will have enough food or enough clothes. God will provide for us. Now, all these verses about worrying and the worry of not having money, well, we don't need to worry about that. God will provide. Now what it's not saying, I've done this a lot today, what it's not saying, But it's important to point out, what it's not saying is just sit on your sofa and do nothing. That's not what it's saying, okay? This is not a biblical excuse to not do anything, all right? It is about priorities. If we spend all our time worrying about food on the table, clothes on our backs, paying the rent, all these things that are important and they are necessary, but if this is where our primary focus and attention is placed and God just gets attached somewhere at the back of the pecking order or loosely added onto the side of our lives somewhere, that's not good. This also isn't about working on Sundays, okay? I work on a Sunday, (laughs) right? It's about our heart attitude and where our priorities lie that's what it's about are we putting jesus first in our lives are we making our relationship with jesus our top priority our main focus or is earning money or something else getting in the way of that if we put God first, the Bible tells us at the end of that section I read, if we put God first, He says, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. I can testify in my own life after leaving my teaching job when Jesus told me to, He has been faithful. He has never let me or my family suffer financially. Are we not? We're not millionaires, right? But we have enough. Things can be tight. Things can get difficult. But keep seeking the kingdom of God first. And he will add the other things on. The hoarding of wealth is also discouraged. Gaining more and more whilst others around us are suffering. This is what James 5 verses 1 to 6 is all about. He's saying greed and selfishness are the negative underlying motives that wealth is magnifying here. Jesus has ushered in the last days. We know that his kingdom has come and is still coming and that the poor will be exalted and the rich will be brought low. So why go on about trying to be rich when he's just about to bring all the rich low? It doesn't make much sense. He's also saying in James 5 verse 1 to 6, he's saying, act fairly, act justly. Don't withhold the wages that you owe someone or the money that you owe someone. Don't withhold it. Be wise with the money you do have. Remember that we are merely stewards of the wealth that God gives to us. He has freely given to us, so we should freely give in response. Give to the poor. Give to the needy. Give to projects that show Jesus to people, that demonstrate his love and life. Give to initiatives that help us worship and bring us and others closer to God. Give to your local church, the place that's your spiritual home, where you are fed and where you grow in your faith together with others this is how we store up treasures in heaven so I thought it appropriate today to close my sermon with an actual act of giving once a month we give as part of our worship, we give financially as part of our worship acknowledging what we've been talking about today That God is in charge of all of our lives, including our money. Acknowledging that, you know, I am a steward of the wealth you have given me, God. And as you have given to me, I give to others. That's what we're doing. That's why we do it. Because we worship with our whole lives. The little piece of paper on your tables, which some people might use because some people have standing orders set up with the bank that, that give regularly so they don't actually have money in church to give, you can put this little card in the basket instead. And the little card kind of summarizes our position as a church on giving. From 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 8, it just says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. Don't feel forced to give. And if you're a visitor today, I would like to say, please don't don't give today. This giving is mostly for Those who come regularly who benefit from the ministry to help finance the work of the local church This is the only place that our church gets its finances. We don't get grants. We don't get government funding We apply for gift aid, but that's only on the money that you've already given So don't give reluctantly, but don't be feel forced to give either because God loves a cheerful giver And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work.